0: Welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Well, today, Steve hands the microphone to fellow RHC pastor Jason Benson, and Jason is taking us through a Christmas series titled Joy to the World. His message is called A Reason for Joy, and he's focusing on the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 9. Now, here's Pastor Jason.
1: Look in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read the first seven verses. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here we are. It's Christmas time. It's the Christmas season. And, and, and you know, Christmas is, is a time of joy. I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of the year, but the reality is is as joyous as Christmas is for some, it's not joyous for everyone, right? For many, it's a time of loneliness and sadness. The statistics actually show that the Christmas season is one of the highest times of the year for feelings of depression and if you've ever walked through a time of depression in your life, I, I have. If you've ever walked through a season of depression, you you know very well that it doesn't feel anything like the light of the sun. It It feels like darkness. And it's in this darkness that the light of the world appears to us. Where we're at this morning, starting in chapter 9 verse 1 the preceding verse the last chapter the last verse of chapter 8 verse 22 says and they will look to the earth but behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness this is where this is where the christmas story begins in this season of darkness isaiah prophesied a judgment to come but he also prophesied a hope to follow Right. Are you thankful for hope this morning? Right. So let's talk about the judgment. We we just read it in verse twenty-two that there was distress and darkness, gloom of anguish, these things are coming. If you want to know what that looked like, um, and, and, and how that took place, you can go to second Kings chapter fifteen, verse twenty-nine, if you're taking notes. And here in Second Kings fifteen, twenty-nine, we see that the king of Assyria, God raised up the Assyrian Empire. Um, And the king of Assyria came and conquered the land of Naphtali and all the surrounding areas, and he took the people there into captivity in Assyria. But Isaiah follows this time of gloom that we see in verse 22 by offering us our greatest hope, right? The hope that he proclaimed to us, we just read it, it's the hope of a child, that God would send a child, a son, Emmanuel would be his name. You see that in chapter 7 of Isaiah. Emmanuel, God with us, who would save his people from their sins. And his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it's here in these seven verses that we see Jesus, by his coming, he accomplished three things for us. So, in verses one through three, I'm just giving you the breakdown of how we're going through it. In verses one through three, Jesus came to turn our anguish into joy. Verses four through five, Jesus came to break the yoke of our bondage, to to break the power of our oppressor, right? And in verses six through seven, Jesus came to set up his government. Number one, Jesus came to turn our anguish into joy. The question is, is how, does, how, does, how, how does he do that? He turns our anguish into joy, how? We see in, 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 in verse 1, after there was just darkness in verse 22, verse 1, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. The people were in darkness. They were in distress. They were in the gloom of anguish. The hope is given by Isaiah saying the time is coming when there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, God brought the land into contempt because they had rebelled and strayed from God. Judgment came. But he says in the latter time, that, that which is coming, God has made glorious the way of the sea. Galilee of the nations and church this morning, if you're currently in a time of, of, of trouble or distress or darkness, if, if, if Christmas for you isn't joyous, if, if if you're struggling, I I want these words to comfort you. Like Isaiah said here, the latter will not be like the former. Your ladder will not be like your former days will not always be dark So first, Jesus came to give us hope. Second, he came to give us light. This is verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And third, he came to multiply the nation and increase its joy, right? This would be the picture that I wanted you to see from Abraham all the way to Revelation because in verse three, It says, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you, right? As with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, right? You have this picture that they had they were lacking and now they're not lacking anymore. There's 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 a fullness of their table that they can share. There's there's plenty left over, right? This is the picture. And the picture is that the nation has been multiplied and the joy has been increased. Well, how does that apply to us through a gospel lens? Well I'm not a Jew by natural means. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile, but I'm saved, right? And so are many of you. God has brought Gentiles in. God has brought people from every nation and language and tribe and tongue. The nation has been multiplied. The nation is currently growing. Now, here's the future. It's still growing, and in the future, we're going to see Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 In the very beginning, he told Abraham, in you, all nations will be blessed. In you, all families of the earth. That was from the beginning. It was never a second thought when when the Jews rebelled against him and their hearts were turning away. It wasn't a second thought. Okay, well, I guess I'll go talk to the Gentiles. It was always a part of God's plan to bring salvation to the world, to everyone who would believe. So in summary, of how Jesus turns our anguish into joy. He came to give us hope. He came to be the light of the world, and he came to multiply our joy. We move to verse four and five. Jesus also came to break the yoke of our bondage. He came to break the yoke. Let's read verse four. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. So, so we see in this that there is an oppressor, there is bondage. So, so the question we ask from a gospel-centered lens, looking back from, from Jesus backwards, is what is our problem? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, 1, verse 1, you were dead. If, if you believe in Jesus today and you're a Christian, God has made you alive through faith. You've been born again. But before that, you were, you were dead in, in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Secondly, you were deceived. Verse two, the very next verse of Ephesians says, you were dead and you were following the prince of the power of of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So you were dead and you were following the ruler of the air, Satan, who is leading everyone To disobedience, right? So you're dead. You're deceived. Third, you were by nature, according to verse three of Ephesians chapter two, you were by nature children of wrath. You rebel against God, the only one who can save you. You're dead, deceived, rebelling. And number four, you were condemned. Meaning that condemnation isn't just coming if you don't believe in Jesus. You're already under condemnation. That's why John three eighteen. It says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The condemnation is already here. In other words, we have a really big problem. So the question it leads us to is, is how is this big problem overcome? Because we certainly can't do it on our own. Verse four, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, now this is... This is a, a, an awesome picture that he gives us here um, because it shows that our adversary, the, our oppressor is overcome by his power being stripped from, from being over us. We can't overcome. We can't conquer our oppressor on our own. The battle is the Lord's. When you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, it says, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, this great multitude of of the army in front of you. Don't be afraid for the battle is not yours, but God's. In Galatians chapter three, verses 13 and 14, we see how Christ has rescued us. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ came and he became the curse. He took upon himself our sin, our shame. He battled our oppressor and won through his death, burial, and resurrection. And in his resurrection, it says that the, the, the wrath of God towards sin has completely been satisfied in Christ on the cross. That's something that Christ did for us. And because of that, Romans six twenty two says, but now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. The fruit that we receive from being set free. So, So God... Uh, we're in a situation that we are in darkness and distress we're, we're dead and we're deceived and, and, and we're objects of wrath and we're condemned Christ comes along as the great light dies for us battles our adversary conquers our adversary for us so that through faith we can, we can live in Christ but what is God's call for us in response to all of this repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand okay repent so what does repent mean i looked it up to feel or express regret about one's wrongdoing or sin what is biblical repentance then it's not just a feeling and an expression of sincere regret but it's also to turn to turn from your sin Right? to turn from your sin and follow a new path. Because you can be walking on a path and you can feel bad about something, especially if you get caught and you can say, look, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. But if you keep walking down that path, right? Have you really repented? Have you, have you, really, have you really made progress? No, you haven't because you're gonna stumble again. So biblical repentance is acknowledging it and it's turning to follow a new way. In 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, God says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, this repentance of turning to a new path, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, sin and I will heal their land. So so what is our call? Our call is to see Jesus and to follow Jesus in repentance. Now, what is God's promise to us who repent and love God? What is is his response to us? We can see this in verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You see, our enemy's plans will be turned to serve our good. When he comes and reigns and rules over the world and over the nations with a rod of iron, but there's a present spiritual reality that we have here today because God takes our enemy's plans and, and, and he turns them for our good. How, how do we know that? Well, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that, all, that, that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say just some things, it says all things. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all things work together for the good. God's going to take everything that you've gone through, everything that, you have, everything that you're going through now, and one day, like of the boot and the garment of your oppressors, he's going to take all of that, and he's going to use it for your good. We see this a few verses later in Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. In all these things, in the persecution, in the famine, in the nakedness, in the distress, in the danger, in the sword, in these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Right. So that's what that so so that's the beauty and and that's a reason to celebrate, man. That's a reason to be filled with joy because we know that we couldn't do it on our own. Christ came and, and destroyed our oppressor and his stronghold over our lives. We see what Christ has done as beautiful and, and, and we repent and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. And what happens is, is we're born again and then we're on a new path. We've turned from wickedness to righteousness and this new path takes us to a land that, like in the Old Testament, flowing with milk and honey. We have a prosperous future ahead of us because of what God has done. Now, What has God done for us? Lastly, Jesus came to set up his government, and here is the Christmas message. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. I love that because, as I mentioned in the first service, when Melinda and I, when we had children, they were to us, me and her. They they, they were to us. They, They weren't to every one of you. But this baby's different. This child was to all of us. This child came into the world for all of us, right? And and it's through this child that was born that the connection between verse 6 and verse 2 is that the child is the light, that, that came to a land that was deep in darkness. And this child has been given to us. And everything from verse 3 to verse 5 that we've already talked about is being fulfilled because a baby was born in a manger. The Christ child, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, light has come. And because of that, all things are new. So the question we have is, since he's come to set up his government Because it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What kind of government will this be? Well, it's in his name. First, he's wonderful counselor. It means he's wise. Romans 11, 33 through 35. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Think about this, church. Our God has never learned anything. He has never learned anything. He knows everything. He is infinitely wise. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The heavens go very high. And God's saying as high as that is, which we haven't even seen yet, that's how much higher my thoughts are than your thoughts. Our God is infinitely wise in counsel, and in Jeremiah 29, 11, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. In his wise counsel, he leads you. We see this leading in Psalm 23, 1 through 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This infinitely wise and Amazing counselor is our shepherd that leads us. But, but he's not just a wonderful counselor. Because what if, what if you just knew everything, but you didn't have any power to accomplish what you know? That's why it follows this by saying, mighty God. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. It means he's strong. Psalm 115.3, God is in the heavens he does all that he pleases. There is no one that can stay his hand. Everything that he pleases, he does, and he has no opposition to what he wants to accomplish. He is infinitely powerful. We see it in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And in Psalm 33, 9, he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Before God, but before the worlds were created, when it was just God, it was, it was only God, and, and he spoke things into existence. He didn't build them with his hands. That's how powerful he is. His words bring change. His words bring life. His word brought all of creation Our God is strong, but he's not just, he's not just wise and he's not just strong because imagine being wise and strong, but you didn't, but you didn't care for people. That would be a little frightful, but it says he's everlasting father. Now this is an interesting phrase that Isaiah says, because when he says everlasting father, he is clearly talking about this child. He's talking about Jesus. So, what does this mean? Because he, Jesus is the Son. He's not the Father. We understand that. But, but Jesus is referred to in Isaiah as the Everlasting Father. Church, this is because it's describing his nature. He is father like to us, meaning that he is gentle and caring. We see this in Hebrews thirteen five. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that father like? Matthew twenty-eight, verse twenty, and behold, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. John fourteen three, Jesus said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Right? So so God is wise and strong and caring but he's also a prince of peace. He is peace. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. We see what Christ has done. We see the reason for joy at Christmas, right? Because a baby was born and came to us. And this, this baby who, who, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father clothed in majesty.
0: Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson and today's guest teacher, Jason Benson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show, and from all of us at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio.